Now I get to spend a special moment with our children, those who are here in the sanctuary. If you want to come join me up here, and if you're worshiping at home, just move a little closer to your screens and we'll wave to you. Someone sent me a picture this week of, of the two children in the house getting close to the screen right at this time, so I know that there are some at home. I'm always glad to see you. Come on up. Welcome, welcome. Great. Good to see everybody. And good to see you all too on the screens. Well, the, the weather is cold today, but it's starting to get a little warmer. And it starts making me think about summer, which starts making me think about ice cream. Who likes ice cream? I love ice cream. Coffee-flavored ice cream is my favorite, but that's probably not your favorite just yet. So I want you to imagine with me that I am standing with a friend of mine in line to get an ice cream cone. I'm ready with my cone, and my friend is in front of me in line, and she goes up and gets one scoop of ice cream. And then I go up, and I get two scoops of ice cream. <gasps> I don't know why. I didn't pay any more for it. I was just standing in line like her. Now, on the one hand, I could look at that and I could dance around and celebrate because I got more than she did. But is that a very loving thing to do? No, no it's not, because I love my friend. So what I might do instead, because I love my friend, is to look at her and think, hmm, this doesn't feel right. Maybe I should share some of this extra scoop with her so that we both have the same. That's one way of loving. And that's one of the things that we hear in the Bible, that love doesn't celebrate and have a party when things are wrong or unfair. So we can practice that kind of love every day, can't we? Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you so much for wonderful things in this world like ice cream. We thank you for the sun shining and the flowers that will be coming in just a few weeks. We thank you that you love us so much, that you love everyone so much, and that we get the chance to share that love with others. Help us to share your love in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all so much. So if you're a three, four, or five, you can go with Pastor Maggie and Pastor Brandon to Children's Chapel. And if you are older than that, you can return to your seats with friends or family. So the Apostle Paul said, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. What is truth exactly? I think we live in an age, as probably in any age, when it's hard really to know sometimes what is true. Is truth based on numbers and statistics and data and facts? I have a, friend, a son, many of you know, Tate, who is a sophomore at Furman University, and he's taking statistics this semester. And, you know, the math gene doesn't run strong in the Dillon family, but he's doing pretty well, and he's actually found it really interesting. We were talking with him the other night about what was interesting in the class, and he said, we're learning about bias in numbers and how we can manipulate data or present numbers in a particular way to make the kind of point we're trying to make. 
As an example, he said, his professor told them that if you, if you study the numbers of graduates of the University of North Carolina, as much as it pains me to talk about the University of North Carolina as a Duke graduate, but if you look at the mean average of income earned by graduates, the major, the academic major that earns the most is geology. And the professor asked, now why would this be? So my first thought was maybe people who major in geology go into the oil industry, maybe? And that, the answer is, there was a graduate of the University of North Carolina who majored in geology, whose name was Michael Jordan. So it's like one graduate in geology skewed all of the numbers. It's a, it's a mean average, which some of you who do math know what that means. But the point is that, that even with numbers and data, sometimes it's hard to know what's true. Or we can take an event that happens, and depending on who's reporting that event, we might get very different interpretations and opinions about what happened or what the event was all about. So it's hard to know what, what is truth. And for us who follow Jesus, who are members of the household of God, what do we mean when we say truth? Jesus talked a lot about truth. In fact, Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Which makes me think that for us, truth is not so much about numbers and facts and data, as it is about a person, as it is about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul talks about truth. Love rejoices in the truth. What did he mean by truth? Well, in order to get into that a little bit, I want to invite us into this episode he recounts in the second chapter of Galatians. Now, it's a complicated text, and it's hard to pull it out of context without knowing what all was going on, so let me set the stage for us a little bit. Paul is very clear in this text that what he believes that is the truth of the gospel, he is concerned with the truth of the gospel, which is that Christ lived and died and was resurrected for all people. That through the grace of God made known to us in Jesus Christ, we are all one. God's grace has been poured out unconditionally upon everyone. And so in other places in his writings, he says, In Christ there is no longer Jew or Greek, enslaved or free, male and female. All these distinctions we make in our world don't matter in Christ. We are all one. In another place, he talks about Christ has torn down the dividing walls between us so that we are all one in Christ. Peter believed that, too, in the truth of the gospel. Now, Peter, like Paul, had been raised as a Jew. He had practiced all of his life the, the Jewish laws of eating clean foods and avoiding unclean foods. As a Jew, he could sit at a table with others who were eating clean foods, eating kosher, but he was not to share table fellowship with Gentiles or with those who were not eating clean foods. That was just the practice. That's the way it was. But early in his ministry, after Jesus' resurrection, as Peter becomes a leader of the church, he's given a vision by the Holy Spirit, and we hear about it in Acts 10 and 11 
where God places before Peter in this vision all the animals of the earth, and a voice says to Peter, they are all clean, Peter. What I have declared clean, you shall not declare unclean. And it's obvious that this voice of God is not just talking about animals and food, but about people. Because the Spirit then sends Peter to the home of a Roman centurion, where Peter preaches the gospel, and the centurion and all of his household believe, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And Peter sees with his own eyes that in Christ there is no distinction. And he stays with Cornelius, and he eats with him, and shares table fellowship in a radically new way. So now we fast forward a few years, and we get to this episode that we've just heard about in Galatians. There's a large group of Christians gathered in Antioch together. There must be Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians coming from different backgrounds. And Paul looks over and sees that Peter is refusing to sit with the Gentiles. He is once again pulled back from table fellowship with Gentile Christians. And Paul believes in this action that the truth of the gospel is at stake. That Peter is not living out the truth of the gospel, that they're all one in Christ Jesus. And so he stands up and as he tells us, I confronted Peter to his face in front of everyone and told him that he was not acting in a way that was consistent with the truth of the gospel. That he was rebuilding walls that Christ had torn down. Now, I don't know that Paul was very gentle about that. I don't know the tone of voice that Paul took with Peter. I think maybe he could have pulled Peter out of the room and maybe had a private conversation. But then again, maybe he needed to confront Peter in front of everyone so that those Gentiles who were being uh, treated as less than could hear someone in the church stand up and say, this is wrong. We are all one. Paul and Peter, in this moment, Paul is holding Peter accountable in love to love. I think it's something that we can learn from as a fellowship of believers together. There is a time when we need to hold one another accountable to love to do that in love, with kindness and gentleness, but to be able to say to one another, I believe the actions that you're cha- taking or the choices that you're making are not consistent with the truth of the gospel, that God came, God's grace is for all people, that there should be no distinctions between us. I know the times in my life when I've had a friend or another member of the church hold me accountable in a loving way. It may be hard in the moment, but boy, am I grateful for it. Because we know the agape love that that we are called to live into. And sometimes we need one another to be reminded of that. If we go back to this phrase in 1 Corinthians 13, it sheds even more light on this episode between Peter and Paul. Paul had said, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. The best translation for wrongdoing is unjustness, injustice, for someone being wronged or treated differently or made to feel less than, discriminated against. Rejoicing in the truth 
of the gospel, that all people are poor, are receivers of grace through Jesus Christ, that all people are children of God created in the image of God. And so here we see Paul living that love out, not rejoicing in the unfair way his Gentile friends are being treated, and holding Peter to a standard of the truth of the gospel. Now, I don't know what happened between Peter and Paul after this. The book of Acts or any of the letters of Paul don't don't tell us where their friendship ended. But church tradition says that at the end of their lives, they both ended up in Rome. They were both martyred in Rome. We know that Paul was under house arrest at the end of the book of Acts. So in our Bible study this week, we, we imagined, what if Peter and Paul got together in Rome, sat at a little cafe table sipping espresso, and reflected together about the amazing ways the Holy Spirit had worked through them throughout their ministries, and talked about this moment of confrontation. I'd like to think that Peter reached over and grabbed Paul's hands and said, thank you, my brother. Thank you for reminding me of the love and grace of God. May we all rejoice in the truth of the gospel.